You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. It is Friday, folks. Something to be excited about, I guess. Um, I mean, it's not a mystery what we're doing today. Also, I keep forgetting that you can see the title that I haven't yet created. So you, so you also know for that reason. We're going to look at the schedule, and I don't know how long this is going to take. I can't imagine... This is going to take an entire uh, episode since this is just a preliminary look, but I can make it last the whole show, so that's what we'll do. Usually the way this works is I go a little bit too in-depth on the earlier games, thinking, eh, it won't take that long per team, and then by the time we get to the end, it'll just be listing the teams because I've taken entirely too long. So just so you know, that's probably how this is going to go. I know a lot of people are going to want me to put in the caveat of, quote-unquote, if we have a season or... None of these dates are official, blah, blah. Listen, I, we know, all right? I keep seeing people, th- like, slide that in. Let me help you out. The reason nobody applauds you when you say that isn't because people are living in denial. It's that people already know and are trying to have a separate conversation. Oh, man, week one's going to be tough. Not going to be a season. All right, Jeff, cool it. I made that up. I don't know, but we know there's a virus, dude. We get told there's a virus Every five seconds, every day of our life, I know there's a virus. I know some states are shut down. Which, by the way, I just read, I was kind of surprised. I live in Wisconsin, so I just, I don't really know what's going on everywhere else. I just assume everyone's kind of similar. Most states are open or opening, which was shocking to me. I didn't realize that. So, I mean, just, let's just see, all right? Who knows? I don't know. NFL seems pretty hell-bent on having a season. It might get pushed back a couple weeks. They seem to think there's a season. Most states are open or opening. Granted, it just takes one state to be like, nope, no football, and there's probably not going to be a season, but, you know, still, just relax, all right? Sometimes we want to talk about different stuff, so that's what we're going to do. Even if all the exact details of when the dates are maybe doesn't exactly line up possibly, it's a separate conversation at a separate time that I'm not wanting to have right now. And so outside of my little mini tirade here, I'm not going to be discussing that little caveat. All right, that's an asterisk. Just just make sure that you keep that implanted in your brain that next to everything I say is the caveat that this may not happen due to a virus. This also may not happen due to a meteor, but you know, separate conversation. Maybe we'll get raptured tonight. I don't know. Then again, it might still be a football season, but still. I'm just saying lots of possibilities out there. So, just talking about the schedule today. Assuming that there's a football season, because what... I mean, come on, man. I I need to get off this, but... I can't even have a podcast if I'm just going to assume we don't have a football season. No point talking about the draft. No point talking about anything. What am I supposed to try to project out 2021? Like, well, let's see. He's a free agent after this year, so he's gone. Bakhtiari might have played his last game, you know, in San Francisco. Not doing that. Anywho, um, I've been doing a pretty good job of not putting the brakes right in the beginning. I don't like doing that, but I always forget, so I, you know, usually do. However, since I don't really want to interrupt just going through the schedule, I think we're going to do it kind of early. So if you have not joined the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, make sure you please do so. Additionally, make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I have been talking with my new social media consultant, Mr. J.J. Leahy, in the Facebook group slash Twitter, slash Facebook page, slash fan of the show. And um, the idea came up to possibly do a video podcast, which kind of I've tried to do or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing a test run. 
this Saturday to actually do the podcast as a video. It's not going to be of me, it'll be whatever, but it's still going to be a video. It's still going to be posted in the Facebook group so you can actually watch it as well as on YouTube, whatever. But you have to be preferably liking the Facebook page because that's kind of the whole point. And to kind of push that point, I'm probably going to post it in the page and not in the group at least for a while. And then maybe do a later release in the group. Just to try to encourage you to get in the, um, you know, like the page, please. And again, it'll just be a test run to see how it goes. But, uh, you know, there you go. What else? Uh, Leaving a five-star iTunes review would be greatly helpful. If you appreciate the show and want to take your support to the next level, you can jump in on Patreon for as little as a buck a month. And lest you think it's only a dollar, how could it possibly make a difference? Think about the potential scope of the audience. I don't like to mention exact numbers. I was actually poking around on Reddit the other day. I don't know why. I went down a rabbit hole. And I saw somebody say they don't like the show because they heard me mention numbers once and they know I'm lying. (laughs) First of all, I'm pretty vague about the numbers. In part, because I'm not that proud of them. But second of all, I've never lied about it. The only reference I've made to how many people listen is thousands. I promise you that's not a lie. But anyways, a buck a month from the audience, obviously pretty hugely impactful for me. So please consider it. I know you don't have to. I know I'm already throwing ads in your face. But I'm still at, after all these years, at the point where I'm just barely trying to convince my wife that this is somewhat legitimate what I'm doing. And that this isn't me just goofing off. And I'm, I'm, I'm so close. But anyways, why don't we take a break and then we'll just go uh, all in on the schedule. Alright, so the... The hard thing right out of the gate is trying to project. You can grab the first few. Usually what people do is they say, you know, through four weeks, I expect the Packers to be whatever. Or three weeks, or however you want to put it. This is, all of these are really hard to project. Because you could see it going either way. For example, let's look at weeks one and two. You've got at Minnesota week one, at home against Detroit week two. Now, the the easiest way to say this is that the Packers are pretty easily 2-0. and or at least close to it. The Packers had the Vikings number all year last year. Sometimes that's just a thing. It's not that the Vikings are a bad team. It might even be that the Packers are a better team, but regardless, the Vikings against the Packers was a very one-sided battle last year, and it's fairly clear that whatever you can say about the Packers regressing, you can say doubly for the Vikings. Yes, I know they added a wide receiver that everybody wanted, but especially talking about the offseason, they lost a lot of people. And then when you look at week two, although the Lions give the Packers a really hard time, the Packers still have been beating them. And this is at home. And so although it always makes me nervous because the Lions make it real tight, real close, again, the Packers have found a way to win. So the expectation would be 2-0. and Now, Vikings fans would quickly point out how this is a new season. But if you want to do that, that which is fine, that's reasonable to say, well, they're going to make adjustments, they're going to whatever... They're not going to let the Packers just steamroll them like they did last year. They're going to fix whatever the problem was. First of all, a lot easier said than done. As much as, it, and it's weird, it, it's, this is how you know I'm a pessimist, because I look at it and say, well, the Vikings could easily change that. That won't be the case. But think about it from the perspective of, okay, we're playing the Lions, and then in week nine we play the 49ers. Are we just going to assume that, oh, but it's a different year. I mean, th- that's not going to happen again. The 49ers, we're going to, we're, we're, they're not going to just steamroll us. No, we're terrified of the 49ers because they have our number. And we know how hard it is to just snap your fingers and develop a new system that doesn't allow you to take advantage of us and smash us again. And so whatever we apply in one area, we got to apply equally. So I'm going to say the Packers win week one. I'm going to say we're 2-0 and against the Vikings. Again, not even, I would say that we're 2-0. and I'm more positive, let me try this a third time, that we're going to beat the Vikings twice than I am that we're going to beat the Vikings outright. In other words, if I had to choose between the Packers are going to have a better record at the end of the season, but are going to lose at least one to the Vikings, or the Packers are going to beat the Vikings twice, but the Vikings are going to have a better end, a uh, better record at the end of the season. I'm not talking about what I would prefer. I'm talking about which one of these two things, if I had to put money on them, if I was forced to... I would say we're 2-0 against the Vikings, but they have a better record. And I'm guessing most people wouldn't take that, but that that would be my guess. Because again, they are a talented football team, but whatever it is about Mike Pettin's defense especially, they don't have a hard time against this offense. It's just just the way that they operate. Mike Pettin's defense, it's just a great system for 
facing the Vikings. Similar to how it's terrible against the 49ers. Just strange because they're similar styles, but it, again, it comes down to especially how good the offensive lines are. The 49ers and Eagles have very good offensive lines and gave the Packers a hard time. The Vikings run a similar style of system than the 49ers, the, you know, especially that outside zone thing, but the offensive line is nowhere near as good, which is why their quarterback was under assault constantly. Beyond that, their quarterback sits in the pocket longer than anybody else, giving our pass rushers more opportunity to get to him. It just works out in Mike Pettin's favor. So I would guess, although, you know, again, early on in the, in the year, anything can happen especially if we're not going to have, you know, training camp or whatever. I know I said I wouldn't mention that, but it's worth at least talking about in terms of how it could impact early in the season. Now, the hard part is when you get to week three and you say through three weeks, you know, look, the goal is two and one. Let's just put it that way. If we get to two and one through three weeks, we have met our objective. Because the fact of the matter is, while we can easily say, The Packers can beat the Saints. Of course they can beat the Saints. Just like any team can beat any team on any given Sunday. But there's no question that Green Bay at New Orleans is going to be in New Orleans' favor. And rightly so. So while they can win, to expect this team to be 3-0 at this point is kind of ludicrous. Can happen, shouldn't expect that. I saw a stat somewhere that said that Aaron Rodgers has never won one time in New Orleans. Now, the Packers do have a fairly good record in Green Bay under Aaron Rodgers, but in New Orleans, they have not won. It looks like this, the record of Packers versus Saints is 3-2 in the favor of the Saints, and three of those games have been played in Green Bay. So the two games played in New Orleans have been wins for the Saints. Now, it's, it's also fair to point out that that last time they played in New Orleans was in 2014, so it's not that impactful, but still... This Saints team is better than any Saints team we've seen in the past. And, um, I mean, 2014 was one of the best Packers teams that, I mean, in the last decade for sure. Saints are a good team. That, uh, there's no two ways around it. And I'm sorry I'm not James Jones. I'm just going to say that we're going to win all these games. But the bottom line is, either way it happened, if we beat the Vikings, lose to some fluke thing against the Lions, and beat the Saints, it's still a good start to the season. Although we're upset about the Lions, beating the Vikings and Saints on the road would be awesome. If we lose week one and then win the next two, granted it's not great because we're we're down one in the division, the Vikings are up one, but we could always look at that as, first of all, it's week one, so it's kind of fluky. We're going to face the Vikings again in week eight, and that's going to be at home, so kind of a we'll get them next time. And again, we just beat the Saints, and then if we win the first two and lose to the Saints, we're now 2-0 and in the division. The Vikings and Lions have gone down one in the division, and, and we've seen, like last year, how important it is to win those games in the division at the end of the year to where the Vikings have to be one game up just to be ahead of the Packers because the Packers were undefeated in the division. And then the loss to the Saints, again, that may be consequential down the line looking at where the Packers rank in the NFC, possibly getting a bye, which is now harder than before anyways, or will be in the future. I don't know how this all dumb thing chops up. But still, to, so so again, either way you want to slice it, 2-1 and one is is the goal in the first three games. That Saints game, by the way, is going to be a Sunday night game, followed by week four, shockingly, uh, Packers, Falcons, at home, that's Monday night. I mean, I'm of course the Packers get prime time because it's the Packers and that's awesome, but Packers, Falcons, I, I could understand maybe two years ago that being a prime time game today, though. I don't know. Sometimes these schedule makers, they're on something. They kind of, they, they get a little little hunch. I'm always surprised how often they get it right that at the end of the season, the teams at the top who are battling it out end up fighting each other at the last week of the season or whatever. But it does surprise me uh, because the Falcons have been struggling pretty mightily. Now, I don't want to downplay because I still look at the Falcons as a team that should be performing better than they are. But the fact is they're not. And the funny thing is, just as I'm looking at this, I'll interject a bit. Every year, there's there's a challenge. Last year, the Packers had to go up against pretty much every single one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Granted, it helps that the NFC North has a couple of them. But also, there was Von Miller. You know, the Eagles got a great edge rusher just down the line. 
Two years ago, it was wide receivers, and it looks like this year again, it's going to be wide receivers. If you just look down the line, Minnesota Vikings, they don't have digs anymore, but still great wide receivers. Week two against the Lions. Again, the NFC North has good wide receivers, so it helps this narrative. But Kenny Galladay is a very good wide receiver. The Saints have Thomas and now Emmanuel Sanders on top of it, so that's extremely difficult. The Falcons now have Julio Jones. I don't mean now as in that's a new thing. I just, I don't know why I said it. Also, Calvin Ridley, who's kind of coming into himself a little bit, took a pretty big jump in his second year. No real reason to believe he won't take uh, an additional step in his third. So that is going to be probably the biggest challenge against the Atlanta Falcons, whereas you can debate what the biggest challenge is against these other teams. Um, Our corners are going to be hugely impactful going for, you know, corners, DBs, whatever, as far as our success, especially, though, against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, The offensive line here has been deteriorating. They've tried to add guys like Caleb McGarry. That hasn't worked very well. They added um, Chris Lindstrom last year. He wasn't great. So they've still got Matthews and Mack, but these guys are getting up in age, and their ability to find replacement players has been poor. So their offensive line is not doing very good. They did add Hayden Hurst. That was one of the guys that I wanted. So again, another weapon. And the Packers are, have, have struggled, and I don't see us getting much better at um, guarding tight ends. And so that could be potentially a threat on top of obviously adding Gurley. So the being able to stop the offense is going to be the biggest thing. Their defense is going to be what we're going to have to take apart. So our defense is going to have to be able to get to Ryan and be able to frustrate these things you know, big play stuff. Sacks and interceptions are going to be huge because otherwise it's a pretty potent offense. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley, you know, um, Matt Ryan is not a bad quarterback. So we're going to have to assault Caleb McGarry off the edge, Chris Lindstrom, James Carpenter. These are the guys that are going to need to get pushed around, stop the run, get after the quarterback, and then when on offense, go after these corners that they did not do a good enough job uh, building up. Although they did get a first-round corner, but he wasn't really... Con- it was A.J. Uh, AJ Terrell, so we'll have to see how that pans out. He wasn't considered a first-round guy, although neither was Jair, really, until the very end. He was kind of a second-round guy the Packers took mid-first, which is exactly what the Falcons did at A.J. Terrell. The only difference is nobody saw this one coming. But the uh, Falcons also struggle off the edge, so Aaron Rodgers should have, despite Grady Jarrett being in the middle, a decent amount of time. Uh, the safeties aren't great, the corners aren't great, so depending on how this offense is clicking or not, Hopefully we'll be able to attack the Falcons, and I, I expect this to be a win. So again, the goal at this point is 3-1. and 2-2 two and two is understandable, but it's kind of just, nah. Anything less than that is, is hugely disappointing. Then the Packers get their Week 5 bye, which is a thing that most people are, are pretty distraught about. Um, I know last time we had an early bye, it worked to our advantage because of all the injuries. But generally speaking, it's that's tough, man. The NFL is absolutely brutal. And to have to play week 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 without a break. Uh, last year, the Packers were, I'll just say, lucky to not have injuries. They did have some, but it was very, very low. And, you know, we can maybe put a little bit of, of uh, throw a little bit of love to our training staff and, and Matt LaFleur trying to watch snap counts and just doing a good job managing the team and their usage to, to keep injuries low. But the fact of the matter is, most injuries are just kind of fluky. No amount of, of snap count management can prevent somebody's helmet from smacking you in the kneecap. All right? it's just That's just a fluke, man. Stuff just happens in the NFL. And uh, especially when you just don't have time to rest. And honestly, this, this travel schedule is kind of tough. One of the things I noticed right away is that it's almost just home away, home away, home away, home away, home away, home away. They only play back-to-back home games in weeks 12 and 13 and then 15 and 16. That's it. So the traveling is just constant. Week one is away, then at home, then they have to fly to New Orleans, then come back home. Then they get a bye. Then they're on the road against Tampa. They're on the road against the Texans. Then they go back home. Then they got to fly to San Francisco. So they're they're in Texas. Then they got to fly all the way home. Then they got to fly all the way to San Francisco. Then they got to fly home. Then they go to Indy. Then they come home for two weeks. Then Detroit. So, I mean, at least those are kind of close. Indy, home, Detroit and then home for two more weeks, so maybe that's kind of a decent stretch there, and then Chicago. So so I guess week 11 through 17, they're not really traveling far and wide. I think, what, Detroit is the farthest they have to go? So that's actually not bad. But it is a lot of just home and away and home and away. And, and in that way, if you figure that a lot of all that travel is really just in the first nine weeks with a five-week buy, and it actually kind of works out pretty well. Because on the final stretch, 
You've got weeks 10, 12, 13, 15, and 16 at home and only three games away. And again, it's Indy, Detroit, and Chicago. That All right, now that, now that I think about it. If you're going to have a week five bye, you put it in a rough... And by the way, that is the rough stretch. I guess we'll zoom out for a second before we look specifically at Tampa. The rough stretch is the first half of the schedule. That's where most of your away games are. It's also at Minnesota, at New Orleans, at Houston, at Tampa, if we want to give them credit, at San Francisco, another game at home against the Vikings. That's a tough run. Then you've got most of your home games, which include Jaguars, Bears twice, Colts, who are not very good, Lions again, Panthers, who are basically rebuilding, Titans, which could be tough, but we'll see. I mean, the the, the hardest game in the second half of the schedule, I guess we'll just say it's the Eagles at home. I feel like in the first half of the schedule, that would be like our fourth or fifth hardest game. Not to detract from the Eagles, but I know they beat us already. But just based on level of difficulty, factoring in it's at home, the second half of the schedule is the time when, when the Packers definitely need to work on stacking wins. And again, considering the first half of the schedule is the hardest part with the most traveling, a week five bye actually kind of works in their favor a little bit. So now that I look at it from that perspective, I'm not as upset about it. So then we get to Tampa. And and to a degree, I understand it. I understand the hype a little, right? You've already got in place arguably the best wide receiver group in football, depending on how this all plays out. Now, there, there is a lot of issues with recency bias. And recency, if we look at it through a recency lens, this is the best wide receiver group in football. However, remember, they did lose Brashad Perriman. I know he was number three on this list of three, but he's a very good wide receiver who brings a different skill set, a, a ridiculous amount of speed to the field. He's also the guy that's going to be running these quick little crossing routes that Brady can dump off and, and take to the house. Godwin, there's very little doubt. I mean, he's been good since day one. He is a round three selection that has just been an incredible football player. Um, however, it's not impossible that he regresses a little. If we look at his PFF grade, 81.9, which is a great grade, especially for a rookie, then 80.4, then 90.7. In year three, he was one of the best wide receivers, arguably, especially down the stretch, the best wide receiver in football. I know that's weird to say, but he was just absolutely on fire. But I, I, again, the, the reason I say that he might regress isn't because I think he's bad. It's just because I, I, I wonder if, I mean, it's possible he is argue, he's going to be, starting this year, recognized as one of the best. That's not impossible. But I would say if I had to guess, he would go back to that 80 range because that sort of seems like his range. Again, 81.9, 80.4, then 90.7. I could just see him coming back to the 80, 85 range. Then when you look at Mike Evans, it's a very similar thing. I don't think he's going to regress. He's been about the same in fact, Mike Evans is the perfect example of what Godwin did. Evans was 84.6, 83.5, 91.7 in year three, and then went back to 79.3, 84.3, 85.7. So he's been consistently in that 80 to mid-80s range, but in year three had this big breakout. It's kind of funny that that's the exact same situation. But either way, there's, there's no dispute these are very good wide receivers. However, it's also important to note that Brady is a very different style of quarterback. And whereas a guy like Mike Evans can probably operate in any kind of system, and I doubt Brady's going to have a hard time getting it to Evans, you wonder about a guy like Chris Godwin, who's a smaller, faster guy, 4-4-2 speed guy, that this was a team at one point, as in last year, that was built on a downfield aerial assault. In fact, Bruce Arians is an Eric Coriel guy, similar to what the Saints run. And I know the Saints, as we talked about, are... I mean, all these systems kind of adapt, right? Technically, Mike McCarthy and Matt LaFleur are West Coast offense guys, and they have very different philosophies on how to run an offense. But still, Air Coriel is very simply, in contrast with what the West Coast is, which is generally seen as what more Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan do, as opposed to um, what Mike McCarthy did, which was a lot of the time stretch the field. West Coast is a lot of quick timing passes, get the ball out quickly, stretching the ball laterally, stretching out the defense. Air Coriel is stressing a little bit more down the seams. And this is this is the first time Tom Brady will have ever worked in an Eric Coriel system. Again, he's a good quarterback. He can throw a football to a guy. But there's zero doubt in anybody's mind that a lot of what made the Patriots successful was the system. All those highlights of him throwing to open guys, especially quick timing passes. They ran the Earhart-Perkins system, which I, I'm not going to pretend to understand much about it. But it, the way the Patriots operated looked a lot more like a lot of the other teams where the ball comes out quickly to a guy that was schemed open. Now, maybe that's what Bruce Arians is going to try to do with this team. But either way you look at it, we're trying to do round peg square hole. 
We've got an Air Coriel coach with wide receivers that have been thriving in a downfield aerial assault type system. Are we going to turn all that around to try to, to make it look more like the Patriots so that Tom Brady feels comfortable? Or are we going to try to get 59-year-old Tom Brady to sit in the pocket and try to push the ball down the field? I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just saying we should probably start with that, that question, which maybe we already have an answer to it. I don't know. And then be realistic about what our expectations are. But um, the run game in Tampa hasn't been all that great. Maybe they'll kind of get that moving. I don't know. The tight ends, you know, O.J. Howard has been struggling. He's a talented guy, but he's been struggling recently. Cameron Braid is still there. He's kind of mediocre. So a lot of this stuff could go either way. I could see O.J. Howard having a great year. Maybe Tom Brady comes in. Obviously, he's better at the short game, quick passing, probably much more accurate passer than anybody Tampa's had in a very long time. Howard could thrive in the system, or Howard will just continue floundering. I don't know. They did add worse to the offensive line, which is a decent enough offensive line. It's not elite. It's beatable, but it's not suspect. Defensively, again, it could go either way. They've added, um, they did add a safety to go with, I think, what, a second-year guy in Evans at safety. The linebackers, I mean, Levante David has been very, very good. They did add um, Devin White last year. He was pretty terrible, but obviously there's reason to believe that he could be a take a massive step this year because he's an extremely talented football player. But we got to see which way it goes. If he takes a big step, that could be problematic. If he doesn't, then they have one good linebacker and that's it. Um, along the defensive line, nah, corners, nah. a lot of it is, you know, outside of the wide receiver quarterback combo, which again, question marks, massively talented players, but question marks. It's a lot of, eh, right? Vita Vea is good, but he's not elite and he's certainly not a pass rusher. Golston and Sue, maybe there was a time when this grouping of Golston, Vea and Sue would have been just elite, but Sue at this point in his career... Definitely not the same guy. The pass rush is not where it needs to be. Jason Pierre-Paul is, again, at, at, at a, in a different era. If we go back five years, add Pierre-Paul to Sue, Vea, and Goals, terrifying. But Pierre-Paul is not what he was. And really, Shaquille Barrett is the guy you got to watch out for. But the question for him is similar to a lot of other guys when he had a, a very big breakout, especially statistically a big breakout year. Can he replicate that? I tend to believe that he can. I was the one saying I wanted Shaquille Barrett in Green Bay because I saw his potential in Denver. Tampa took him. I was sad. He broke out as one of the best pass rushers in football. Not trying to toot my own horn, but yes, I am. And then again, corners, eh. The reason it's a big question mark is they're decent. They're not great, but they're also very, very young. Davis is going into his third year, and Sean Murphy Bunting is going into his second year. He's a second-round pick. Carlton Davis was a second-round pick, so they got two second-round picks that are pretty young. So, I mean, this whole team is just a massive question mark. Could everybody be right and this is a, a serious contender? Of course. With Shaquille Barrett as a pass rusher, with the potential of White making this one of the better linebacker duos, with a brand new safety, with very young corners, with the potential of taking a big step, with a new offensive tackle behind an offensive line that's teetering between not great and pretty good, with extremely talented tight end groups that maybe could be really good or maybe just aren't very good, with possibly the best wide receiver group in football, depending on what they do with the system, with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all times being inserted in this team while still having question marks about him thriving in this system. Ronald Jones was taken very early. He took a big step in his second year. Could he take another step and become a, a really top-tier running back, especially behind this offensive line, which has been improved? I just I don't know what to expect from this. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on this because I'm essentially floundering and I don't know what to say. It is a way, but... At this point, we're talking October, so I'm not super concerned about the weather. I, I think the Packers are the better team. I, I just think I think what we know, I'm giving this to the Packers, because what would need to happen for Tampa is all those question marks, not all of them, but a lot of those question marks would have to fall in the positive. And the fact that a lot of these question marks are young or new. Tom Brady, for the first time in his career, running a new system, you know, pinning it on Ronald Jones and Tristan Wirfs and second and third year corners and first year safeties, talking about them as Super Bowl contenders because we assume everything that we talked about goes positive for them is unrealistic. And everybody wants to because everybody loves Tom Brady and that's just how the media wants to spin this and they've got the greatest quarterback of all time, in their words, clearly not mine. I'll say one of because I'll respect the rings and he's good and all that, but I also think he has a particular skill set that is conducive to only certain systems. And the question is, can Bruce Arians make that work? And of course, he's got a supporting cast and all that. My expectation is a win against Tampa. 
They will probably not be favorites. We'll have to see what the record is by the time we get there. If things are falling apart for Tampa or Green Bay, then it'll it'll set itself. But at this point, I would expect a win there. And again, as I said, I got to speed this up. But um, on the road against Houston, I absolutely expect a win. I know Houston's tough, and and you got to give credit to Houston's coaching staff, despite the fact that he is a terrible GM. He is a pretty good coach because this roster is just not good. It's kind of like what I said about um, the Chiefs and their defense. When you look at the roster, that's not a talented roster, but they they hold it down pretty well. If you look at the Texans, and remember, they lost their wide receiver, and they they did add new wide receivers. So instead of having one really good one, they got three guys that can play somewhat competently. But the fact of the matter is, if you're just going off of PFF grades, Kyle Fuller is now their number one wide receiver. That should make you shudder a little bit. No, No disrespect to Kyle Fuller, but a guy who just now, after all these years, is finally becoming good enough to be a number two who struggled with that a bit, is now going to be asked to be a number one, and I know a lot of people say, no, Cooks is going to be the number one. Well, okay. He had a 68.1 overall grade last year, but we'll just pretend that regression didn't happen and, and just go off name recognition, I guess. That's fine. But this is a extremely talented quarterback behind still not a very good offensive line. Tunsil obviously was a big addition and is huge for this team, but they don't have anybody else. They don't really have tight ends. They added David Johnson, which at one point maybe would have seemed like something. But, I mean, literally, the guy has had one good year. I mean, he was the best running back in football that particular year, but one, and maybe they can make it work for their sake and for for Johnson's sake, I hope so, because David Johnson had a ton of potential, but I I just, behind this offensive line, I just don't see it. Then you look at their defense, and I know they're renowned for their defense, but man, this is another defense that's just been slowly eroding. Again, terrible GM which they haven't even had a GM for a while, and now their coach is their GM, and he's a terrible GM. But, I mean, it's like J.J. Watt and nothing. I mean, Justin Reed's a good safety. They did add Ross Blacklock as a defensive tackle, but Whitney Merciless is not what he used to be. I mean, Jernigan is not that great. The linebackers, McKinney and Cunningham, are just mediocre. The corners are not very good. I mean, they added Gary and Conley, who the Raiders gave up, and it seems to be a pretty smart move by the Raiders because he hasn't done anything. He had one good year, and that was his rookie year. So they don't have good corners. Um, J.J. Watt, if he's even healthy at this point, because the guy's injured all the time, is really, it's 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 J.J. Watt and Reed at safety. There's really not much else. And again, bad offensive line, no tight ends. They don't have that elite wide receiver that they had that basically just helped this offense just tear it up. And may, look, maybe this is a better situation. Maybe having three decent wide receivers is better than just having that one. But they weren't really struggling <laughs> to to get the quarterback wide receiver thing going. So I don't know if I can easily see that improving. And again, you add in Johnson, who's a good receiving back, theoretically. But I I just, as much as I want to give them respect as a playoff team and all that stuff, looking at their roster, if the Packers can't beat this, if they can't get pressure with this terrible, terrible offensive line, if they can't protect against these terrible tight ends, if they can't cover these good but not great wide receivers, if they can't get open against these subpar corner, if they can't block this garbage defensive line, aside from J.J. Watt, which you just bring a little extra attention because they got the one guy and nothing, if they can't attack these linebackers who can't cover, I, I just, that's that's not great. This is a team that sh- should be able to be beaten. Then we get the Vikings at home. Again, I would expect that to be a win. And we'll look a little bit closer at our rivalry. I want to take a deliberate amount of time to probably break down one team at a time to really get the full thoughts going, but, you know, again, it, it, it just is what it is. I can't explain why the Packers have a, such a hard time against the Lions, but I still expect them to have a hard time against the Lions. It's just one of those things. The way that they play offense is hard for our defense. The way they play defense is hard for our offense. I don't know why, but it is, and I expect it to be a, a, a difficult thing. Just like in Week 9, I don't expect that to be easy. And by the way, um, the Vikings game, Week 8, is noon game. Texans is a noon game. Uh, Tampa Bay is a 3.30 central time game. All these I'm talking central time. But then we get a short week. we got to fly out to San... I mean, that 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 is just set up for the 49ers all the way. To have the Packers have two road games, come home, face the Vikings, and then on a short week fly all the way out to the West Coast to play the 49ers. Similar to the Saints, I mean, anything can happen any given Sunday, but this isn't one you expect to win. It's one you know you can win, but you do not expect to win this game. So in the first part of this, I'm going to say Saints 49ers lost. At least we're, we're, we're counting that as two. Let's say in the division between the Vikings, who are a good team, and the Lions, who give us a hard time 
maybe one loss. And then between Texans, Tampa, and the Falcons, all of which have talent in different ways, right? The Falcons have a good roster but are, but are a bad team. The Texans are a good team but have a bad roster. And Tampa Bay is just a big question mark. I think it's it's reasonable to expect at least three losses. And to be 5-3 and three isn't terrible, especially since, again, the easier part of our stretch is the second half. So if, if I just had to put a number on it through the first difficult stretch, I think 5-3 and three is a reasonable expectation. I think if you get less than that, obvi- I mean, obviously that's not good because now we're talking 4-4, four and four, you're 500, that's not good. And again, it can be better than that, but just the fact that you're looking at the Saints and you're looking at the 49ers, to assume that you're only going to have two losses would be to assume that you're probably going to beat one of those two or you're going to lose those two but beat the Vikings twice, the Lions, the Falcons, the Bucks, and the Texans and have zero mistakes, zero bad games. That's that's a tough ask. I think 5-3 and three is reasonable. That's just that's my thought on it. Then the second half of the season, the Jaguars at home. I mean, it doesn't get much more straightforward than this. This is a team that should once again be picking in the top five. Now, I think they did a decent enough job in the draft, as, as much as you can expect. Because, again, you can't just go down the line and say, these are our biggest needs and this is what we're going to do. You can't get everything. But to add, first of all, Henderson and Kalevon Chason in the first rounds, I think was a, a solid bunch of pickups, right? They, they added Chenault, which if, that was, if they had one first-round pick and it was Chenault, I'd give them a hard time. But that was a second-round pick. Now, would it have been nice for them to get a linebacker and offensive line help? Yes. But again, they got a corner, which is important. They got a pass rusher. And I know they got Allen last year, but Allen was subpar. Not to say he won't take a step, but still, you need more help, and there's nothing wrong with having two pass rushers. And then you add Chenault, and they already have DJ Chark, who's a pretty good wide receiver. But really, the only hope that they have is guys taking a step, such as Josh Allen, such as Juwan Taylor. And then rookies. Because if, if there aren't massive steps and contributions from Henderson, Chason, Allen, Chenault, and Taylor, it's just a bad team. The offensive line is not good. Eifert, again, I doubt he's even healthy. Wide receivers are decent. That's, again, assuming Chenault can do something. If not, it's it's Chark who's pretty good. And then eh. Minshew is, I mean, despite having a great stash and all that, meh. They don't have linebackers. Safeties are meh. Pass rushers are meh. Depending on you know how rookies pan out, the corners are just bad. This should be a win, and so let's just call it six and three at this point. Then we have to hit the road to face the Colts. This could actually be a relatively tough game, and the reason I say that is that this was a two years ago very talented team, and they were kind of the team that I was watching out for in terms of you know that one team that kind of sneaks in that gets hot at the end that doesn't quite make it, but the, you know. For, for Baltimore was kind of another one of those teams that I kind of put on the watch list. And the interesting thing is Baltimore, the biggest question was the quarterback, right? They made a push, but the problem was the quarterback was not good. Lamar Jackson, he didn't look like a quarterback that was going to do very much. But then he completely broke out and look what happened. Now everybody's putting him at the top of the list or close to it. Similarly, two years ago, this team was was on fire, led by their very talented defense. They have a very good offensive line. I mean, this, this I, I haven't put enough thought into it or really looked at this. This could be a very, very good football team. They have a dominant offensive line. They still have decent enough wide receivers with T.Y. Hilton. Plus, you add in a very, very competent quarterback, who I've said several times has been wildly underrated. He's on the, the, the downswing of his career, no question. But he's got a better offensive line than he's probably ever played behind. He's got T.Y. Hilton, who's a very good wide. He's had good wide receivers in the past. But he's, he's coming into more good wide receivers. There's also the potential Paris Campbell, who they picked up in the second round last year, takes another step. Then to cap that all off, they added Jonathan Taylor in the second round. So they've got this brutish offensive line in which they can really just smash the ball all they want. They've got a guy that can carry the ball a lot. Behind this offensive line, he's going to just be dominant. And it takes a lot of pressure off of Phillip Rivers to be somewhat closer to what a game manager would look like. He's got a competent enough tight end in Doyle. He's got T.Y. Hilton. He's got Pascal. He's got Campbell possibly taking a step, the speedy slot guy. And on top of that, they've got a talented group along on the defense. And it, you know, they added DeForest Buckner, which is huge. And the Colts are, are pushing, man. They still got uh, Justin Houston. He's a question mark because of his age. But, I mean, he, he really kind of broke out in 28. I mean, re-broke out. He was dominant for four years in the past kind of got forgotten about, broke out in 2018 as one of the best pass rushers, and he did not really decline in 2019. So he's he's 
31 years old, but he's still very talented. Then they crazily had Kimoko Ture just completely break out. Now, limited snaps, limited sample size, but he looked really, really good. Maybe that was a fluke, maybe it wasn't. He was their second-round pick in 2018, didn't have a great rookie year. His 2019 grade, 91.3. Again, he was, I think, injured most of the year, but put him on the watch list. And again, Buckner in the middle of the defense. The guy that really started to spark this, one of the better linebackers in all of football, Darius Leonard. Wasn't talked about last year as much because the Colts kind of fell into obscurity. But two years ago, everybody was talking about Leonard, and he did not get worse last year. Got Malik Hooker at safety. I mean, the the, the biggest question mark probably in terms of this team's success is going to be the corners. Rakyasin wasn't great. They added Xavier Rhodes, which, I mean, give me a break. But, I mean, they have potential. They, they also tend to have a pretty good uh, coach. So it's not a matter of, it doesn't matter how good your roster is, your, your team is still garbage. I mean, th- this team has built something special. Two years ago, they made a real big push, despite being at the very beginning portion of their rebuild. They just, they had a great draft and, and pushed in, and then they didn't have a quarterback, and now they got Rivers, and they got a running back. I mean, we'll see. Again, this is another question mark, but I think this is going to be a, a, a sneakily very difficult game. And especially when we talk about the Packers having a hard time with good offensive lines that like to run the ball. If that's still the case, make no question about it. This offensive line, this running back, Jonathan Taylor, is going to be running down the Packers' throats all day long. This is the point at which the Packers hopefully, and, and we played the 49ers the week before, or two weeks before, but either way, we're going to get a pretty good idea of whether or not the Packers can handle stopping the run. If we couldn't do it against the 49ers, we're going to have a hard time against the Colts. Even if we don't beat the 49ers, if we can at least show that you're not just going to run the ball constantly, we're going to be able to stop you, then we have a good shot against the Colts. So again, sneakily a tough game, and that one's going to be on the road. Then we finally get to meet the Bears. And um, I I just think the Bears are are wildly overrated by a lot of people. Just looking at, it's just a bad roster. Oh, their defense is still top 10. I, I don't know, man. Maybe, but you lost, what? How many linebackers did you lose? Was it just the one? I don't I don't know, but I mean again, Roquan Smith in two years has not been a good linebacker. Danny Trevathan is mediocre. Eddie Jackson, who had that one good year, was the forty seventh best safety out of eighty eight. So you've got Jackson who's mediocre, with Gibson who is not good at safety. You've got linebackers who are mediocre at best. You've got corners that are not good. Kyle Fuller was good down the stretch in the Vic Fangio system. He is not good anymore. Buster Screen is bad. Jalen Johnson, the rookie, I mean, best of luck. You added Robert Quinn, which is which is cute. Maybe he's going to be able to do something. I don't know. But the guy has had basically two good years in his entire career. So, you know, best of luck to you. I don't know. He's 30 years old. From what I can see, this is Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks. And Hicks and Goldman, you know, Goldman's decent as well, I think are both overrated. Akeem Hicks also was one of the best defensive tackles in all of football that last year under Vic Fangio, and every and there were all these videos made about Akeem, because when somebody has a good year, that's when everybody dives in and pretends they've always known he's always been one of the greatest. And then when people watch those videos, they go, oh yeah, he's, he's always been one of the greats. That's now I know that. And then next year, when he goes back to being the guy he always was, people say, oh no, you don't understand. He's one of the greatest. I saw they did a breakdown video showing it. No, man, that was them just trying to pretend they've always seen it. Since 2015, here are his grades, 72, 76, 76, 91, 76. He went back to being the exact same guy he's always been and 30 years old. No reason to believe he's going to go back to that 91. 76 is fine. It's decent. It's it's starter caliber. He's a good football player. I'm not saying he's not, but he's also almost entirely a run defender, which is another thing nobody's going to say. He had an 81.6 run defense grade, a 63.3 pass rush grade. 63, barely average. Eddie Goldman also, his grades his entire career with Chicago, 70, 75, 65, 89, that last year with Vic Fangio, back to 70. So if we just remove that 2018 season, which we can do, by the way, because everybody is just using that as their reference point, his grades would be 70, 75, 65, 70. Everything is almost right in line, perfectly flat for all these players with this one outlier in 2018, and we want to pretend 2018 is just what these players are. It's not true. Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks are good football players. I'm not saying they're not. But to pretend that this is going to be one of the tough... There are so many defensive linemen we're going to face that are as good as this. Khalil Mack is the difference. He's the one that's very, very good. But who else on this team is very, very good? Not one player. Not Jackson, not Hicks, not Quinn. 
not Fuller, not Roquan. And people will tell you that they are. Roquan is a great linebacker. He's never been a great linebacker. Jackson was good one year. And that was that one year that we're basically just disregarding. Hicks was good one year. Goldman was good one year. Fuller was good one year. What else is there? And then offensively, the offensive line has completely fallen apart. Two years ago, they had a really top-tier offensive line. The only guys that they had that were decent have kind of fallen off. Cody Whitehair was, as a rookie, one of the best offensive linemen in all of football. That was the only time he was ever any good. He dropped from 87 down to 70, spent two years in the 70s. His last year was a 64.9. He's just falling apart rapidly. Their, their tackles are terrible. Leno and Massey. This is an underrated talking point. Everybody acknowledges the, the Vikings offensive line is not good. I think the Vikings offensive line might be better than the Bears offensive line. They don't have tight ends, despite the fact that they're taking swings. And yes, they got Cole Komet. If you want to believe Cole Komet is going to be something special, great. The Lions and the Vikings both drafted tight ends um, last year. The Lions early first round. The Vikings in the second round, similar to the Bears this year, neither of them were overly impactful. So if you think the Bears, who drafted a tight end in a weak tight end class, are going to have more impact than the Lions and Vikings last year, I think you're dreaming. They didn't do anything to help their wide receivers. There is the possibility that Anthony Miller takes another step. He did take a little bit of a step from 2018 to 2019 from a barely mediocre wide receiver to a solidly mediocre wide receiver. Robinson is still a good wide receiver. So really, the the only big question mark here is how much of an impact is their new quarterback going to make? And a lot of people are looking at this saying, listen, this is a top five defense. You plop in foals. Suddenly, this is a good team. If it's that easy, we're in a lot of trouble because there's a lot of teams. I mean, Tampa's they're, just give them the Super Bowl trophy for crying out loud. If it's just as ma- a matter of like dropping one piece in here and we can take foals, who is a quarterback with an injury history that has been a backup his entire career, put him behind a terrible offensive line with one good wide receiver, no tight end, no real run game, and suddenly this is a Super Bowl-caliber team? I mean, come on, man. Are we even trying to be critical here? And again, they're probably going to be a good defense, similar to uh, the Texans. I can't explain why, right? Like the Chiefs defense with Bashad Breland. They had Bashad Breland as like their number one corner, and somehow this is a good team. I don't know how that's possible, but they made it work. But I, I don't see this team not taking another step back. Possibly the offense takes a step forward, but I do think the defense is going to continue to take a step back. Because it's just it's just not good football players. It's just not. Mack, Hicks, Goldman, fine, solid. Quinn, decent enough. Nothing else. So, no, I, I don't think the Bears are going to win this game. I think the Packers take both from the Bears. So what were we? We were 5-3 and three to start. 6-3 and three after this. I don't know. Let's call it 7-4 and four at this point. Not necessarily saying we're losing to the Colts, but that's a tough game. And with, you know, Bears and Jaguars, I don't know. Let's say we lose one in that stretch. No, we don't have... You know what? Let's look at the Eagles and say we lose one in this stretch. Because similarly, although we did lose to the Eagles and they're not a bad team. In fact, you could argue they're a pretty solid team. They're not a flawless team. And really, again, the, the biggest reason the Packers couldn't stop this team was because the defensive line could not hold up against the offensive line. If that's still the case, we might lose to the 49ers, the Colts, and the Eagles. That has to be fixed. And we didn't do anything to fix it, but whatever. That has to be adjusted. Something has to change. And it's not like the Packers have the worst defensive line in football. This is this is a... a there's something going on with the mental processing, the scheme, something. Because there are worse defensive lines that didn't get beat as bad as the Packers by the 49ers and the Eagles and teams like that. That don't get pushed around that easily. And it's not like Zadarius and Preston and Kenny Clark are, are soft and weak and don't know how to play the run. That's ridiculous. So there, there's something else going on. But this is going to be a tough matchup. Great offensive line. Wentz, if he's even the quarterback at this point, obviously very talented. They've got a obviously now great wide receiver group because they already had Jackson, who's a good wide receiver. They had Jeffrey, who's a good wide receiver. And now they added Jalen Rager on top of having two talented tight ends. The offense is it's, it's just it's pretty stacked. Then you look at the defensive line, which is still very talented from all those years. It's the same guys, but, I mean, Hargrave, Cox, Graham. The question marks begin after that. The corners, which was their biggest need going in, they didn't do anything to address it, are still terrible. So this may be a situation where the Packers' offense needs to really stress that. Also, questions about safeties and linebackers. They don't have good safeties. The only good linebacker they maybe have is T.J. Edwards. T.J. Edwards had a great rookie year. However, again, as I've said before, undrafted free agent. He had a terrible coverage grade. It was really just his run defense. So being able to stress the linebackers and whatnot with the tight ends, as well as attacking the corners with the wide receivers, we, there, there is a chance 
that we're able to assault them down the field. And obviously, hopefully, the prospect of being able to push them around a little bit by adding a little bit of beef along that offensive line, if we actually use any of those offensive linemen, I don't know, I hope so. And then getting a, a bigger, stronger running back, possibly using Aaron Jones more in the passing game to be able to stress that. So you've got a, a better run game, much more talented passing attack insofar as confusion, right? Because again, if we go back to it's just Aaron Rodgers keying in on Devontae Adams, that's not that hard to stop. You double Adams and automatically we're in trouble. But if we actually spread the ball around and use Devin Funches and use Alan Lazard, as well as using our tight ends to stress the linebackers and the safeties that have to come up and protect against while slipping the running backs out, using all kinds of misdirection and things. I think this is a a team that is beatable. This isn't a group that is really going to be adept at stopping those types of offenses. They don't have the talent at linebacker and safety to be able to stop that. And this is where this is where that that style of offense needs to take off. And that's what this whole draft was about. Running back, tight end, offensive line is all about helping LeFleur build that offense. This is where it needs to take shape against this team. And then again, being able to stop the run is the other end of this. Otherwise, it's going to be them just, it's going to be scoring, the dueling scores. I don't know, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth volleying to see who can stop the team first, which is probably going to be the Packers if they're running the ball more because then your defense gets tired out, whatever. But anyways, so let's say in that four-game stretch, there's one loss. Jaguars, Colts, Bears, um, Eagles. I'll even add the Lions in that. I mean, clearly there could be two losses. There could even be more than that. But I think... I think the Lions are a win. I think the Bears are a win. I think the Jaguars are a win. So really what I'm saying is in these first five weeks between the Colts and the Eagles, one to two losses is reasonable. I'm going to say one because I'm going to try to be more optimistic. But, you know, I think if the Packers are going to be competitive, if we're actually talking about the Packers as a Super Bowl caliber team, I'm expecting no more than one loss out of that. Then we've got three final games. Carolina Panthers obviously going to be hard to figure out because they've got a brand new everything, right? This is a rebuild. Um, I just have a hard time believing they're going to be very, very good in their first year. I mean, you never know. It's possible. I mean, look, Matt LaFleur came into a struggling team that had seemingly just fallen apart, and they went 13-3 and and went to the NFC Championship. So who knows? But we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater, which I've got a lot of respect for Teddy. I've always kind of liked Teddy. Even when he was in Minnesota, I was, you know, he got hurt. I was kind of rooting for the guy. But I don't think there's any evidence to believe that he's going to be a elite or even on the level of Cam style of quarterback. Now, granted, Cam was injured, so Bridgewater is going to be better than, what was it, Anderson or whoever their quarterback was last year. But we are getting more of a strictly pocket passer, which is a good thing, because if Cam hurt the Packers, a lot of time it was when he would take off. Also, he's basically just undefeated when you get into the red zone. You get Cam Newton within seven yards of that goal line, and he's going to run it in. Bridgewater isn't that guy. And so you've got, a again, a poor offensive line. I don't really see any good tight ends here. They do have a decent group when you look at um, uh, DJ Moore. Had a, I mean, he was good as a rookie, broke out in his second year. I think he's going to be a good wide receiver for the Panthers. They also added Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson is one that I'll never understand. He's always been hailed as like one of the greats. And maybe it's just looking at his stats. Maybe it's just looking at whatever, you know, because he's played with bad quarterbacks. If he had a better quarterback than whatever. But I mean, we're talking about an undrafted free agent out of Temple whose best year, PFF grade wise, in four years was a 71.4. But whatever, we'll pretend he's going to be an elite wide receiver. I, I don't buy it, but fine. The, the biggest issue, though, is Christian McCaffrey, Anderson, and Moore as sort of a trio. But again, Teddy Bridgewater is mediocre, maybe good to mediocre, behind a bad offensive line. The defense is, I mean, everybody loves Brian Burns, and everybody loved talking about how it was funny because you got people that didn't like the Rashawn Gary pick, myself included. I didn't like it. I'll be honest about that. Because two years in a row, if you watched the live stream, of the first round draft stream or whatever that I did, where I just basically sat here in silence for about a solid 10 seconds because of the last two picks in the last two years, where it's like, oh, come on. And I did like Burns, but people who can't let stuff go consistently wanted to point to Burns because Burns had a great preseason. And then like the first two weeks of the season, Brian Burns was one of the better pass rushers. But strangely, nobody talked about Brian Burns after that. And so allow me to hold you all accountable those hit-and-run people that wanted to point out Brian Burns and talk about nothing but Brian Burns and how we should have gotten Brian Burns, he ended with a 63.7 overall grade. Brian Burns flashed, but I think one of the biggest issues with Burns potentially is the fact that he is a little bit one-dimensional. He's not a very big guy. He's a speed guy, and I think similar similar to Rashawn and a lot of other guys, when you don't have a, a fully developed toolkit, 
offensive coordinators, offensive line coaches are going to key in on how to beat you. And once they figure that out, it's up to you to then take that next step. And I think Brian Burns has yet to prove he can take that next step. Granted, Rashawn hasn't been able to prove he's taken the first step, but I'm just, we're talking about Brian Burns right now. They did add Yatur Gross Matos. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't watch him at all in 2019. I watched him in 2018. I wasn't a big fan. I saw him as a guy with a ton of potential, um, but not much else. I don't know if he took a step in 2019 and got better, but a lot of what I saw was really ugly. And again, another guy that just got pushed around a lot. He's not a big, he's kind of a longer, leaner kind of guy, which I, I guess, and the thing is, they're, they're going to be running this 3-4, so these guys are going to be outside linebackers. The uh, Panthers, for quite a while, had more of the bigger 4-3 defensive end types. I don't know. But the bottom line is, I'm not afraid of their pass rushers. I'm not afraid of their defensive line anymore. That used to be a strength. It's not anymore. K1 Short is probably the best player they have along this entire defensive line. I mean, they did add Derek Brown, so obviously there's a lot of potential there. However, let's not forget Quinn and Williams was a much better prospect who has taken number three overall and had a pretty bad year with the Jets. So there's no guarantee what's going to happen there. But either way, even if Brown is solid, he's the only real lock to be any good along the entire defensive line, including the pass rushers. The linebackers are not very good. The safeties are decent corners are subpar again offensive line and tight ends are not there I just don't see this as I see this as a team that's developing and they've got some coaches that have a lot of talent we'll see if that materializes anything in the NFL they've got some potential to really scare people offensively but I just think they're another year or so away from really competing unless guys really take a step unless this offensive coordinators can make this a lethal offense and with McCaffrey and and Moore and Anderson and Bridgewater the potential is there and if you get some help from uh, pride at corner and Matos at edge and brown and at defensive line i mean that again the potential is there i just don't see it so i do think the packers win this game and again this is at home and and that the time on that says to be determined we've got the lions the prior week i keep forgetting was a noon game 325 for the eagles sunday night game against chicago and then noon for colts and jaguars and then tennessee is going to be a sunday night game again also at home so the jaguars at home adds to the aspect that i think we're going to beat them Tennessee Titans at home, week 16. Um, I mean, it really just kind of comes down to, can they replicate what they did last year? And I don't really see why not. The, the biggest thing is my skepticism of Ryan Tannehill. He graded out as one of the best quarterbacks in football last year. As much as we can play off the narrative that he was held back because he was in Miami and now he's with a better team, I just really have a hard time believing Tannehill is that good. The, the fact that he could get better fine and maybe it's just a better system and it's a run-first system and it's not all on his shoulders because he's a first-round pick and expected to make something out of nothing in Miami, no question I could see him getting better, good offensive line, all that. But I just I, I would be stunned if he doesn't regress a little bit. Um, also, Henry, I mean, we assume that Henry's just this all-time great, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he still stays the same. And, and I guess there's no real reason to expect he won't. Remember, his best year was actually the year Matt LaFleur was his offensive coordinator. He took a half a step back. I know his stats went through the roof, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a good team. Tannehill is going to be good. Henry's going to be good. How good, I don't know. It's a good offensive line. They added Isaiah Wilson. Presumably, that's going to help. They got a decent tight end. They got A.J. Brown at wide receiver. Corey Davis is now a number two, which should help him to be somewhat productive for them. Adam Humphreys in the slot is solid as far as a number three slot guy goes. So the offense, I, I don't see them really slowing down. And again, comes down to can we stop the run? If we can't, I, I just don't think we're going to have a very good year. Because the bottom line is, that, that, first of all, the Vikings are trying to do this. And if they're able to finally execute it, we could be in trouble. Now, they, they haven't had any success running the ball against the Packers. But if they figure it out, we're, we're doomed. Then you got the 49ers, you got the Colts, you've got the Eagles. You got Christian McCaffrey, although they don't have a good offensive line, so I'll disregard that. But then you have the Titans. I mean, we're, we're talking about teams that just based on roster compared to roster, I mean, if we were to just grade them and compare grades, the Packers are, and these teams are relatively similar. 49ers are, are a little bit better. But the Colts, probably pretty even. Eagles, pretty even. Titans, pretty even. You know, better in some areas, worse than the others. But again, if it's a simple formula of really good offensive line, like to run the ball a lot, good running back, if that's the formula to beat the Packers, then just by default, we lose. There has to be some kind of a solution. And again, we didn't do anything to address these positions, so it has to just be these guys just have to get better at it. And as much as it would be nice to add talent, again, we have the talent. We have the defensive pieces that are talented enough to stop. They just got to play better. They got to play faster. They got to play stronger. They can't be getting pushed out of the way. They just looked like they didn't know what they were doing. And we can't do that. 
and I, I don't want to just minimize everything down to that, but that's where it starts. If, if this, if we lose to the 49ers, the Colts, and the Eagles because we can't stop it, then I have no expectation of beating the Titans in Week 16. I'm just going to assume that's a loss. If we are somehow more competent, in some way more competent at stopping that, and this becomes just a match of these two teams, just straight-up analysis then you've got a offense that's going to be tough to stop. Because even if we, we are getting better at it, it's hard to stop the run when it's Derrick Henry. And then they've got good wide receivers and a good quarterback and a good tight end. The, the, the difference is their defense is not very good. And so it becomes somewhat of a shooter. And, and again, remember, I was talking about how, you know, with the Eagles, well, they'll probably win because they're going to be wearing us down. Matt LaFleur, the, the point of all this, the, the, the draft, was to turn our offense into that. So we should actually be trying to grind them down quite a bit. So if they want to do that to us, we should be turning around and doing it back to them. Now, our new running back isn't Derrick Henry, but he's able to serve that function. So we should be able to pound, and they don't have as good of a defense as we do. They have struggles along their linebackers just like we do. They have a much worse uh, defensive front. And by the way, their edge rushers are not big boys. It's not like Preston and Zedarius. They have Landry and Beasley. These are smaller guys. They did add Isaiah Simmons. He has the potential to be a very good football player. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Otherwise, nothing. Nothing. So, I mean, if, if there's if there's any potential of one of these defenses stopping the other's assault on the ground, it should be the Packers. As much as we want to stomp our feet and say they didn't do anything to help stop, and that's true. I would have loved to have gotten a linebacker and another defensive piece. Again, remember, we're talking about Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary. That group, just based on how they are, Rashawn Gary, regardless of how he did in his rookie year, has all the tools necessary to be the kind of guy that is built to stop. The, the defense is built to stop this stuff. They just couldn't execute. Again, we could use more pieces. There's no question. But at some point, you got to look at this group and say, you are built. Mike Pettin has built. Um, Brian Gutekunst has given Pettin the pieces to stop these exact style of offenses. You just got to execute. That's the bottom line. You got to be able to execute. And we should be able to, if this is just a battle of the trenches, if this is just ground and pound against ground and pound, which would be a weird day in the world if that's what it came down to, with a little mix of Tannehill being a good quarterback to his good wide receivers and Rodgers being a great quarterback to his good wide receivers. Yes, I said good wide receivers. Our number one is better than their number one, and we've got number twos just like they have number twos. I'll put Lazard up with Corey Davis any day of the week. Based, It, it really just comes down to the defense. Granted, their offensive line is probably more adept at this. They do have a better running back, but our defense is just its heads and tails. And again, not just pure talent. Pure talent, the Packers are miles ahead of the, the Titans' defensive front, but just the way it's built. Again, Landry and Beasley are tiny guys. These are smaller outside linebackers meant to be speed rushers off the edge, which is what the Packers used to be. But again, we started bulking up for this express purpose so that we don't get pushed around and we can stop these kinds of offenses. It's not worked yet, but it needs to work. Zadarius and Preston were added for this purpose. They just haven't been able to execute. They need to. And if you listen to Zadarius, if I may expand a bit more... The struggle they had largely was mental, and Zadarius admitted that. When he sat down and had an interview, I don't remember exactly with who, but they talked about the 49ers game. It was a mental battle that they lost. And again, it's not just good offensive lines. When you look at the Eagles and you look at the 49ers, the, the amount of misdirection and, and just the, the how intelligent these offensive linemen are in getting to their spots and, and just you know orchestrating this in a beautiful fashion, the Packers... As much as they can win with brute force, and Zadarius is a great pass rusher because of not only does he have the toolbox and the moves, but he is just a powerful man. The fact of the matter is when it came down to really trying to slow down what's in front of you and process things, everybody kind of struggled. And they got they, they just looked kind of dumb. And so I think another year, and, and the biggest goal here needs to be let's let's slow this down. Let's really study. Let's study these offensive lines. Let's study the Titans. Let's study the Colts. Let's study the 49ers. Let's, I mean, we, our own offensive coordinators, coaches, we were on a similar style. Matt LaFleur should be in there with them saying, look, this is the, this is the goal. This is what we're doing. This is, this is what we're going to try to do. And then in pra- that's the point of practice as well. I mean, I, I know we have an offensive-minded head coach, but you run, we run what the Tennessee Titans do all day, every day while we're practicing. You need to be watching the defense and say, look, you're, you're not, you're not grasping this. And again, hopefully they will start grasping it so that, we can because that makes a big difference. If the Colts, Eagles, Titans, and 49ers are automatic losses, we're in trouble because there's going to be other losses outside of that. So that may be the main focus. Again, there's going to be great wide receivers we got to go up against, so the corners matter. But 
the defense being able to rise to the occasion to not be pushed around by these really, really talented offensive lines is going to make a night and day difference. And maybe that's not enough to beat the 49ers, but it should be enough to beat teams like the Colts, the Titans, and the Eagles. Not guarantee a win, but at least make it a level playing field so that it's just a battle, so that we can begin this battle rather than just seeing the Packers getting annihilated from the start getting embarrassed I, I just don't want to be embarrassed anymore that was that was ridiculous and it was the reason why they went 13 and 3 and everybody said this is not a 13 and 3 team because some of their losses were so ugly anyways i'm taking way too long then we got week 17 against the bears which again i'm gonna say is a win even though that's on the road so what did i say five and three in the first stretch one in the first four so eight and four maybe and then maybe drop one more in the final four doesn't need to be that way in fact i don't know Going undefeated down the stretch, I know the Titans are going to be tough, and I shouldn't just automatically assume that. And plus, there's the Lions, which could potentially, the Lions potential, could just be flat out wrong about the Bears, and it's Week 17. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of, you know, Vegas and whatnot, they're putting the Packers at about eight and a half to nine wins. You could see where that comes from. I mean, I'm just kind of going off the top of my head, and I kind of ended at roughly nine and five. Not that I expect it, not that they can't surpass that, just what is reasonable. Now, if we talk best case scenario, honestly, not that it's very realistic, but 14-2. and two. Sweeping the division is not impossible. Falcons, Tampa Bay, Houston, the Colts, the Jaguars and Eagles at home, the, the Panthers, the Titans. And again, even if we, on the off chance, beat the Saints or the 49ers, then we you know possibly drop another one. 14-2 and two is best case scenario. Very unlikely, but I mean, that's, that would be the ceiling in my mind. I think 9-5 and five is the most reasonable. But again, if we're talking about the Packers being legitimate contenders, as they were last year, I, I think probably nine wins or so was probably shooting too high last year as well. And we far surpassed that. So I think if, if, if I were to say what would be the best case reasonable expectation, honestly, 13-3. and three. You drop two in the first stretch, you drop one down the final stretch. Again, unlikely, but not more unlikely than what we did last year at 13-3. and I mean, that's that's going to be very, very difficult. Just like anybody who gets to 13-3, and some very, very difficult things or some very close games. I think 13-3 and is the ceiling as far as what is reasonable. And I don't really even feel like we're worrying about worst-case scenario because you could get as dark as you want to get with this. You start talking about losses within division, which is possible. You know, drop one to the Vikings, one to the Bears lose to the Saints and the 49ers. I said I didn't want to talk about it, but I guess we're going there. Between Tampa and the Texans, you could possibly drop one. Colts, Eagles, and Titans, you could lose all three if we assume that the defensive line can't stop that kind of offense. I mean, that would put us at 8-8. Eight and eight. So I guess, I, I guess I'll put the floor at 8-8 eight and eight and the ceiling at 13-3. and three. If, the, if this is not a good team, if they regressed and they did not improve and, and it's just it's just not good, and, the, and Matt LaFleur's you know, new offense is not working either because Matt LaFleur can't implement it and just doesn't, quite have what he needs or whatever excuse or Aaron Rodgers isn't following it and the defense still can't stop the run and is struggling and injuries start to mount up eight and eight if if this offense is rolling and the defense is doing a better job stopping the run and there still is this potent rushing the passer and the corners are killing it and the offense is really flowing the way Matt LaFleur wants it to I think 13 and three is is another possibility so anyways that's where I'm at with that um, I think it's slightly overstated that this is one of the harder schedules. I don't think that that's true. A lot of Packer fans are saying that. I know, again, week five is, is tough. But again, given that the first half is the really tough stretch, having a buy-in between there kind of works in our favor. Anyways, i got to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.